0: Hello and welcome to the IT Governance podcast for Friday the 5th of May 2023. Later on, our CEO Alan Calder will be discussing what boards need to do to build their organisation's cyber defences. But first, here's the news. Access to ChatGPT has been restored in Italy after its parent company, OpenAI, said it had addressed or clarified concerns expressed by the Italian Data Protection Authority. As we discussed in our 7th of April podcast, the GPDP, or Garante per la Protezione dei dati Personali temporarily banned the popular generative artificial intelligence chatbot after expressing concern about OpenAI's use of personal data to train its AI model, as well as its failure to verify the age of ChatGPT's users in breach of the General Data Protection Regulation. OpenAI's privacy policy is now accessible to people before they register, the company will now offer a tool to verify the age of users, and there's now a form that EU residents can use to exercise their right to object to the processing of their personal data, as stipulated by the GDPR. According to the BBC, the Garante said it welcomed the measures OpenAI implemented, but called for further measures relating to implementing an age verification system and planning and conducting an information campaign to inform Italians of what happened, as well as of their right to opt out from the processing of their personal data for training algorithms. Meanwhile, the EDPB, or European Data Protection Board, has launched a task force dedicated to ChatGPT, whose aim is to foster cooperation and to exchange information on possible enforcement actions conducted by data protection authorities. This doesn't mark the end of ChatGPT's security challenges. In his annual State of the Hack address to the RSA Security Conference in San Francisco last week, the US National Security Agency's Director of Cybersecurity, Rob Joyce, warned the security community to buckle up for the effect generative AI will have on cyber attacks. One such example is phishing. As reported by Wired, Joyce said, That Russian native hacker who doesn't speak English well is no longer going to craft a crappy email to your employees. It's going to be native language English. It's going to make sense. It's going to pass the sniff test. So that right there is here today, and we're seeing adversaries, both nation-state and criminals, starting to experiment with the ChatGPT type generation to give them English language opportunities. Another concern relates to malware development, with generative AI potentially being used to modify malware to elude scanning tools, such as antivirus software. It's going to help rewrite code and make it in ways that will change the signature and the attributes of it, Joyce said. That is going to be challenging for us in the near term. He added, I don't expect some magical technical capability that is AI generated that'll exploit all the things, but next year, if we're here talking a similar year in review, I think we'll have a bunch of examples of where it's been weaponized, where it's been used, and where it's succeeded. On the subject of coding, albeit of the non-malicious kind, ChatGPT's capability to create secure code has been called into doubt by researchers at the University de Québec in Canada. In their paper, How Secure is Code Generated by ChatGPT, Raphael Curie, Anderson Avia, Jacob Brunel and Baba Mamadou Kamara concluded that in several cases the code generated by ChatGPT fell well below minimal security standards applicable in most contexts because ChatGPT simply doesn't assume an adversarial model of execution execution. ChatGPT can only create secure code when a user specifically requests it. Interviewed by The Register, Corey observed that ChatGPT in its current form is a risk, which isn't to say there are no valid uses for an erratic, underperforming AI helper. He commented, Having a tool that generates insecure code is really dangerous. We need to make students aware that if code is generated with this type of tool, it very well might be insecure. The LockBit Ransomware Group has taken the somewhat unusual step of apologising after one of its partners infected an Illinois school district. As a Ransomware-as-a-Service provider, LockBit allows affiliates to use its malware and infrastructure to carry out attacks in return for a cut of any ransom payment received. As Graham Cluely writes for Bitdefender, one of those affiliates used the LockBit ransomware to attack Olympia Community Unit School District 16, the largest school district in Illinois, comprising five schools containing over 1,700 students, in late February. However, LockBit itself clearly took exception to its malware being used in this way and apologised to the school district, offering a free decryption key and blocking the partner from its affiliate programme. Lockbit's admin wrote, Please forgive me for allowing the attack on small, innocent children. The stolen data has been deleted. To get the decryptor, please give me the decryption ID. I'm very ashamed, but I cannot control all partners. Anyone can join my affiliate programme as well as break the rules. I have blocked this partner. This isn't the first time Lockbit has had a fit of conscience. At the end of last year, it apologised after one of its partners attacked the Sick Kids Teaching and Research Hospital in Toronto. T-Mobile USA has disclosed its second data breach of 2023. In a letter to those affected by the breach, it said, In March 2023, the measures we have in place to alert us to unauthorised activity worked as designed, and we were able to determine that a bad actor gained access to limited information from a small number of T-Mobile accounts between late February and March 2023. According to SC Media, the breach involved the theft of personal details belonging to 836 customers. Compared with the data breach T-Mobile disclosed in January, which affected approximately 37 million customers, the number of victims in this case might seem relatively small, but the extent of the personal data relating to those customers is particularly alarming. T-Mobile's letter continues. The information obtained for each customer varied, but may have included full name, contact information, account number and associated phone numbers, T-Mobile account PIN, social security number, government ID, date of birth, balance due, internal codes that T-Mobile uses to service customer accounts, for example rate plan and feature codes, and the number of lines. T-Mobile has now fallen victim to nine data breaches since 2018. That was the news. Now, a recent Harvard Business Review article, "Boards Are Having the Wrong Conversations About Cybersecurity," highlights the struggle that many organizations have when implementing cybersecurity programs. IT Governance's CEO Alan Calder discusses the security issues facing boards and the actions they can and should take.
1: So, an interesting piece of research from Harvard Business School, published uh, very recently, says that something like 65% of company directors, and this is a survey of about 600 on board members, 65% of directors believe their organizations are at risk of a material cyber attack within the next 12 months. And about half of them think their organization is not prepared to deal with that cyber attack. And that's kind of worrying when you consider that um, we're something like 20 years into uh, the cycle of cybersecurity being a key board uh, issue because, of course, it's a key attack vector not only for uh, cyber criminals but for uh, nation state players and, uh, uh, and commercial competitors and so on. Um, so, so you kind of got to ask yourself, what, what is going on? Why, why are board directors in the state of uh, relative unpreparedness? And Part of it is because uh, boards on them, people who have a genuine understanding of cybersecurity and cyber risk, the the upcoming SEC regulations uh, in the US are designed to try and change that. Uh, Part of it is because the uh, chief information security officer, the CISO, often uh, isn't reporting directly to the board or if they do have an interaction with the board. It's typically from a very technical standpoint. They don't come, CISOs are trained, and they don't come to a board meeting and talk about uh, risk, about reputation, about risk mitigation, about uh, how to deal with cyber threats in ways that boards would understand. But even more than that, it's because boards Having begun to understand cyber threat, I mean, you, you, know, you have to understand there is a genuine cyber threat if you think you're at risk of a targeted attack haven't got beyond the point of understanding the idea of a single line of defense. And so apparently many boards spend a big part of the time which they do spend looking at cybersecurity, of worrying about how effective their anti-phishing controls are, uh, about whether their uh, simulated phishing attacks are producing improvements in awareness of incoming fishes. Uh, What they're not recognizing is that um, however good that front line of defense is, they're going to get hacked. That's the one certainty. I kind of like to say that uh, nowadays the only three things that are certain are death taxes and a cyber breach. You're going to get hacked and a a hack is going to lead to you having to spend money on uh, absorbing the attack, on carrying out restitution, on repairing, on dealing with reporting data breaches, all of those are inevitable consequences of a data attack. So the sensible organization has already moved way beyond thinking about cyber defense, a single line of defense, and has begun thinking about cyber defense in depth, about the reality that um, while a well-trained workforce allied to a, uh, an effective vulnerability scanning process, an effective set of uh, screening activities on incoming uh, emails, on uh, internet connections, and so on, will significantly reduce the number of incoming fishers. Uh, they also recognize that uh, something like half of uh, all people are likely to click on a Email incoming email that looks as from a well-known brand like oh I don't know Microsoft or uh, Cisco or, or Apple or somebody like that um, because they're lulled by the quality of the brand and in today's artificial intelligence world the ability to produce highly believable uh, uh, phishing emails and attack um, uh, attack emails is is incredibly dramatically enhanced so you're going to get breached what do you do about that well you've got to Try and deal with the number of breaches uh, and narrowing down their impact uh, as they get through more and more layers of defense the, the concept of defense in depth is not a new one it goes back to um, it goes back to stone Age time. You can go to stone Age sites right now and you 'll see different layers of uh, 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 of defenses around a um, on a hill for instance you 'll see two or three um, concentric circles with ditches in between, uh, you'll see I mean, that built on a hill for a start because the attack has got to run up the hill, which means you can throw things at them as they're coming up the hill. So the idea of defense in depth is really not new. It should be absolutely standard when you're dealing with cybersecurity. You should have different layers of defense which deal with different aspects of an attack as the attack matures through uh, through the organization. And sitting at the Middle and back of that is the idea of people who are competent to understand an attack, to think about how to respond to what might be new in an attack, the way it's um, proliferating inside the network, people who have the competence to uh, graft a recovery plan when they didn't have one uh, that was already ready to go. Um, But all of that then sits on a lot of careful preparation that says, we're going to get breached. How are we going to deal with that? How do we recover our systems? How do we rebuild our network if a breach gets all the way through? It's a kind of logical digital extension to – thinking about what happens if um, severe weather occurs. Uh, how do we make sure we survive that? If there should be a pandemic, heavens, that's never happened before, um, and everybody can't come to work, how do we ensure that the business is able to continue operating? Good business continuity planning is about thinking through what is it that you're going to do when the worst happens? Well, with cyber attacks, the worst is going to happen uh, for sure, and probably three, four, five, six times a year. So you're not thinking about a -a once-in-a-lifetime event like a tempest or a um, incredible storm surge, you're thinking about something which is almost business as usual. So your ability to soak up an attack, to respond to the attack, uh, has got to be built around the idea that you're going to have to do this very often. But that means that uh, backup both for users and for the network, backup in the cloud, your cloud configuration, your cloud security, all of that has to be designed not just to defend against uh, the Incoming waves of attack, but to enable you to respond when some of those attacks get through your defenses and get through to the point at which your systems go down. And therefore, resilience is also uh, about how do you deal with the outside world when the world says to you, gosh, you've been breached. Part of your resilience planning has to go all the way through to uh, responding, reporting, uh, communicating, dealing with uh, reporting breaches to regulatory authorities, uh, reporting breaches if they're large-scale breaches to individuals who've been um, who've been affected. So you've got to think through and 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 the sensible organisation today marries business continuity planning with cyber incident response with um, a cyber defense in depth with frontline defenses uh, and ties together not just the activities but the people involved in each of these those activities so that you have a coherent plan and a coherent plan is one which you can then test and you should be able to test them by doing more than just a couple of tabletop exercises. Tabletop exercises that look at specific aspects of your uh, resilience planning is a good thing but you should be able to do much larger uh, exercises which are designed to establish uh, what you would do for instance if uh, two of the really bad things that you've identified happens happen simultaneously and your emergency response team goes to work but uh, two members of it are either sick um, or uh, have been otherwise or uh, otherwise not available or your communication systems go down or somebody can't somebody can't get hold of the business continuity plan much of this is common thinking in business continuity scenario setting it's not common thinking in most digital survival planning uh, and the sensible organization, the organization to survive today and tomorrow is the one that's going to tie together disaster recovery, business continuity planning, uh, strong levels of competence inside the organization with the front line uh, activities around phishing, vulnerability, scanning, um, cyber, is, cyber, cyber essentials, cyber essentials plus um, security controls, all of which are designed to limit uh, li- likelihood of a threat exploiting and vulnerability, um, all of which designed to reduce impact. But the major reduction of impact comes, as I said, from thinking about and building cyber resilience all the way through the organization. One of the interesting uh, perspectives on cyber resilience is, of course, uh, um, Biden's recent uh, statement saying that, Cybersecurity shouldn't be something that users have to worry about. It should be something that the producers of software worry about. His, his focus is very much on software security, on quality of controls in software, in the ways in which organizations that produce software go about ensuring that their coding is secure, that um, they identify and patch vulnerabilities, that they produce secure code, so that the users of the software don't have to worry about security. Um, and, and, of course, there is a bit of pie in the sky in that Uh, statement of Biden's because the nature of complex security produced under commercial pressure operating as fast as you can to produce something that clients really use means that it's likely to have holes in it that at some later point somebody will find. It wasn't a hole. It was a vulnerability when you uh, created the software. You didn't realize it. Um, It's only when somebody else found it and thought of a way of exploiting it that you realize its vulnerability. So completely secure code is a bit like um, completely secure organizations. It doesn't happen. Vulner- Resilience is a key part of how you manage uh, software as a software development organization, in the same way as it's a key part of how you manage uh, cybersecurity as any kind of organization. You've got to tie them together. But but the core of what Biden is saying, I think is true for every organization, is about responsibility. It is about responsibility to Go the mile that enables you to understand, as a board member, as a CISO, as a um, as a salesperson, the uh, way in which a threat can develop and deploy inside an organisation, the impact that can have on the organisation, and your role in enabling the organisation to be resilient, to respond quickly, um, and to, and part of doing that is communicating clearly and openly with. Uh, customers with stakeholders with third parties about what's happened and about how well prepared the organization is to deal with that you know in today's world where you expect to be breached most of your customers and suppliers expect you're going to be breached and so when you deny it that's always kind of worrying when you are open and say you know we've always known about this we have well-prepared defenses we can deal with that all of that becomes part of a positioning of the organization as a resilient, robust organization with open, transparent communications with clients and is a bigger part of enabling the organization to survive in the long run. So, uh, you know, I sum up what I'm saying. I think resilience is about more than just simply being able to respond to cyber threats. Resilience is about a whole organizational approach to dealing with a highly dangerous operating environment. The digital world is a highly dangerous operating environment Uh, and an approach right by boards and by everybody inside the organization. What you get is a uh, is a company which is really fit for the uh, second half of the first half of the 21st century. So I hope that's useful.
0: Thank you, Alan. That's it for this time. As ever, you can get in touch with us either by leaving a comment on the blog or via Twitter at ITGovPod, that's my account, or at ITGovernance. We'll return in a fortnight, but until then, our archive is on SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And you can find everything you need to implement and maintain cybersecurity defense in depth on our website, itgovernance.co.uk.